It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Oh, uh-huh. 
say mam take ki gaite ne khabay de vaykem begedel bashlakhem khokem
world skips a beat, knocks you gently off your feet. It's not thunder, it's your cries. When the news comes inside, and you just want to run and hide, it's not thunder, it's your cries. Cries were not in vain. Small tears they link into a golden chain, pulling down the walls that divide us. Alele, alele, ani
Jam in the AM. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial and around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Keep in mind that 90.1 FM in the Catskills will be very handy for a lot of people who head up to the Catskills on a Friday morning or any morning and very helpful to people heading back Monday morning from the Catskills to the New York City area and, of course, very helpful to the people in the Catskills in general, that's for sure. Friday morning on this June 19th, the 2nd of Tammuz. Hope your Rosh Chodesh was fabulous. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach with candle lighting time at 8.10 on this Erev Shabbos. 8.10. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Sunday is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dear old dads in our audience. Eighth day had tears. Kamu Vanecha from Yaakov Shweki. Usher Sharf and Sons had Yom Zeh, Eishas Chayel. Done by Yehuda, Werdiger family, <coughs> excuse me, the Werdiger family with Baruch Kel Elyon. Regesh, Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. A, a big thank you to uh, a very special listener from Great Neck, New York, who left us a message uh, that I got yesterday here at JM in the AM. I want to say thank you, and uh, to all the early morning listeners, there's so many people out there that are so dedicated, that literally start their day with us. The first notes of Moda'ani are the first notes to their day. To all of you, I give you an extra special thank you this morning here at JM in the AM. If you're listening around the world on our uh, on our uh, iPhone and Android app, I thank you as well. Your comments are welcome. Go to the home screen of your iPhone or Android Nahum Siegel Network app, NSN, and uh, you could let us know what uh, what you think from wherever you are around this world. Hey, weekly update is later on in the 7 o'clock hour. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. Elliot Weiselberg, he's got the wrap-up of the Martin Weiselberg Memorial Hockey Tournament. We're going to be doing that. Uh, we mentioned the weekly update. We want to wish a mazel tov to the Rosa Zada family, who um, continued... The wonderful celebration of David Rosazada's bar mitzvah last evening in West Orange, New Jersey. To Lori and Joe and the entire family, we say Mazal Tov. I gotta check with them and see if uh, there are any more bar mitzvah celebrations coming up for David. <laughs> uh, but it was really, it was wonderful to uh, be together last night and celebrate together. Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. 68 degrees, 92% humidity, Windsor West at 5, cloudy, high 86, mostly cloudy tonight, and then tomorrow, cloudy skies, a high Shabbos, 73 degrees. 79 in uh, Jerusalem, 68 in Jersey City, we say good morning, it's JM in the AM as we continue at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, it's jmintheam.org. Na, na. Na 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 na
It's a brand new... Oh, there we go. It's a brand It's a brand new single from uh, Shia Illowitz, entitled Oda Vichem Chai, here at JM in the AM. Uh, before that, uh, that uh, ABD selection entitled Adam's Miros, you heard Tears done by Eighth Day. That's from their uh, latest... CD entitled Inner Flame here at JM in the AM. Very, very hot CD. A lot of people very into it and with good reason, of course. Amiran Dvir was here this week, as you know. He was here on uh, on Monday with a live music alert Monday here at JM in the AM, all the way from Israel in our studio here in Jersey City. Here's one of the select. This is not what he did actually on the air, but it's one of the songs that he performed live. It's off of his, it's actually a single of his. Uh, that he released a while back. No Delacha, Ami Randvir at JM in the AM. <laughs>
Yisrael. Shia Elowitz before that. You heard Shlomo Katz, of course, with Curry Bone. Candle lighting at 810 on this era of Shabbos Parshas Korach. Sunday is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, all the dads out there. Mayor Furtick, thank you for sitting in yesterday for a brilliant Thursday edition of JM and the AM. My big thank you to Mayor Furtick. My big thank you to Mark Zamek for sitting in during the live lunch yesterday. Much appreciated. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsor WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Galit Sal in the background with our news from Israel coming up. Galit Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to JMNAM. גליצה לשעה שתיים, כאן שיבל קרמי מנסור עם מה שקורה עכשיו. במרכז עיניו שבתל אביב החל טקס פרסי התיאטרון, כשברקע המתיחות בין שרת התרבות מירי רגב לאומנים. ראש עיריית תל אביב רון חולדאי אמר שם, התרבות בישראל לא תצונזר. עבדתי על זכותם, זכותם של יוצרות ויוצרים. רבותיי, גם בעתיד לא יצונזרו בתרבות ולא אותו. יש כאן התלהמות מכל... מחוץ לטקס הפגינו בימאים ושחקנים עם שלטים לבנים ופה חסום בנייר דבק במחאה על מה שהגדירו סתימת פיות. פעיל ימין שהגיע לתמוך ברגב והתעמת עם הבימאי והשחקן איתי טירן. אנחנו חיים במדינה דמוקרטית ואנחנו נגיד את מה שעל ליבנו ואת מה שביצירתנו ונגיד את זה בכל רגרם על הבמה, אם סתמו לנו את הפה, נכתוב את זה במשיכת קולמוס. לא נממן יותר אותך. שים פלסטר ותעבור אחורה. כללי המשחק השתנו. אנחנו נדאג לזה שתישאר בלי מקור פרנסה אם לא תתיישר ותתחיל לכבד את הערכים עבורם אני משלם לך. אתה עובד ציבור, אתה עובד שלי, פגעת, שילמת. אתה רוצה חופש ביטוי לא על חשבוני. כתבנו דרור שדות וניב ורובל מוסרים כי בשעה הקרובה צפויה רגב לנאום ולהגיש את פרס הבימאי בטקס וחלק מהאומנים הודיעו שיחרימו את הדברים. 
יושב ראש הרשות הפלסטינית אבו מאזן מאשים את חמאס בניהול משא ומתן עם ישראל להקמת מדינת עזה כלשונו, כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. מעולם לא צמזרה פה הצגה או תערוכה או הוטלה תקציב בתוכנן של הצגות. מעולם לא נוצרה פה הצגה או תערוכה או הוטלה תקציב בתוכנן של הצגות. זה לא מה שרצינו לשמוע, נחזור לזה אולי מאוחר יותר. חקירת הצתת כנסיית הלחם והדגים בכנרת, המפכ"ל יוחנן דנינו הודף את הביקורת על טיפול המשטרה בפשעים לאומניים נגד נוצרים ומוסלמים. כתבנו יותם ברגר שמע אותו בסיור עם השר לביטחון הפנים בירושלים לכבוד חודש הרמדאן. ממשיכים הלאה, מאוד קשה להגיע אליהם, ולמרות זאת, אנחנו הגענו ולמרות זאת הוגשו כתבי אישום, ואין לי כוונה, גם הפעם, אנחנו שמים את החקירה הזאת בסדר עדיפות מאוד גבוה, גם אנחנו, גם השב"כ, ואני אומר לכם שאנחנו בסוף נגיע למבצעים, צריך סבלנות, אבל צריך כאן בעניין הזה לא לוותר, וזה מה שאנחנו נעשה כמדינה, אנחנו לא נוותר ואנחנו נגיע גם למבצעים. השר ארדן התייחס למינוי המפכ"ל הבא ואמר, אני לא ממהר. אני לא מתכוון לעמוד בסד זמנים כזה או אחר. אם יהיה צורך, יימצאו הפתרונות. אני נפגשתי כבר עם כל הניצבים של משטרת ישראל. אני אעשה את החושבים שלי, וכאשר אחליט מיהו המועמד המתאים ביותר, אני אודיע על כך לציבור. הארגון הבינלאומי לתעופה אזרחית מזהיר מפני בטיחות התעופה בתאילנד. כתבנו עומר קדרון. הארגון הציב מעל דירוג הבטיחות של תאילנד דגל אדום, אחרי שזו לא טיפלה כראוי בשורת כשלים בתשתיות ובפיקוח האווירי שלה. בכך מצטרפת תאילנד לעוד 12 מדינות שנמצאות באזהרה של ארגון התעופה, ביניהן האיטי, נפאל, לבנון ואריתריאה. בתגובה להודעה מסרה חברת התעופה הגדולה בתאילנד, תאי איירווייז, כי היא פועלת לפי התקנים המחמירים ביותר. מזג האוויר מחר בבוקר יתקרר וייתכן טפטוף עד גשם קל בצפון ולאורך החוף. אלה החדשות שעורך הדר שיפר בצוות רינת גיימן ואבי כהן.
Jam in the AM. David Dax and company with that Shabbos medley off of the Shiraz Hayam CD. Candle lighting at 810 on this Arab Shabbos Parsha's Korach. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us here at JMDM. Thank you to Mayor Fertig. He was here yesterday. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to uh, Mark Zamek, who took over the live lunch yesterday from our New York City studios. Much appreciated. Hey, Matis has announced his guest for Sunday. Dr. Emmanuel Navone, author of a brand new book, The Victory of Zionism, reclaiming the narrative about Israel's domestic, regional, and international challenges. At 8.15 Eastern Time this coming Sunday, Matis speaks with Dr. Emmanuel Navone, author of that brand new book, coming up on JM Sunday, right here at the jmtheam.org. So make sure you're tuned in. Matis uh, hits the uh, air at 7 Eastern Time on Sunday morning, and that's live. And then at 8.15, he'll speak with Dr. Emmanuel Navone, a uh, worthwhile listen. I can tell you that much. Uh, make sure to be tuned in this coming Sunday. J.M. in the A.M. will go to Elliot Weiselberg. I, uh, I apologize to him. Originally, when I was here Wednesday, I wanted to uh, feature his review of the uh, Martin Weiselberg Memorial Hockey Tournament. And for some reason, it just slipped everybody's mind here. And I apologize for that. Uh, so we'll do that coming up about 7.20 this morning, and just a couple of minutes from now here at JM in the AM. We'll have that for you. Um, so that's that. 68 degrees, clouds, and a high temperature of 86. Cloudy tonight, a low 67, and tomorrow cloudy weather and a high temperature shop is 73 degrees. 68 right now, Friday morning, coming up in about 25 minutes. It'll be Malcolm Honeline. Our weekly update feature here every single week at JM in the AM. If you're listening on the NSN app, feel free to comment on anything you hear. Go to the home screen of the app for Android or iPhone and just post your comment. That's how it works. It's as simple as that. Do that and enjoy. AB Rottenberg and Company next. This is JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M., A.B. Rottenberg, Levan Efesh, Mim Komcha. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Well, as I mentioned, um, I neglected to uh, play for you the uh, Yeshiva, well, not Yeshiva League, but the Martin Weiselberg Junior High Memorial Hockey Tournament recap that Elliot Weiselberg uh, did for Wednesday. And I apologized to him, but I told him we'd get it on before the end of the week. So in the usual slot, I guess we'd say, right, 720, usual slot for the Yeshiva League Sports Update, is a good time to go to the uh, recap regarding the big junior high school tourney from this past 
weekend. Here is Elliot Weiselberg at JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. No, kids, don't get scared. The JM in the AM Sports Report is not heralding a new school year, rather sending one out in style with a recap of this past Sunday's Martin Weiselberg Memorial Tournament. The competition, the tenth of its kind, went for a full ten hours on Sunday in Yeshiva Har Torah in Belrose, Queens. We'll go through some of the highlights straight ahead on this special edition of the JM in the AM Sports Update. I'm Elliot Weiselberg. The Martin Weiselberg Memorial Junior High Hockey Tournament is considered the official end to the junior high hockey school year. And for nine years, this has been a one-day highlight reel. This past Sunday was no different. Eight schools packed Hartora. Four of the New Jersey League's finest, SAR, Kushner, Yavne, and YNJ, as well as four of New York's best, Halb, Hank, YCQ, and the host team, Hartora. Over the course of the day, each team played at least two games against teams from the other league, opponents whom they have not seen throughout their respective school years. The teams were split into two divisions, with Division A being headed up by New Jersey's top squad, the YNJ Jaguars, along with host Hartora, the Hank Hurricanes, and the Yavna Avalanche, and Division B featuring New York's top team, the Halb Lions, along with the SAR Sting, YCQ Wildcats, and Kushner Cobras. In the first of the round-robin games, the four New York League teams came away with wins, with Haratora edging out Yavne 1-0, Hank shutting out YNJ 2-0, YCQ outlasting SAR 1-0, winning in the longest shootout in tournament history, a 12-round shootout that saw the game winner be the only one of the 24-shot attempts let in, and Halb doing the same over Kushner 1-0 in a shootout, albeit a much shorter one, only going the traditional three rounds. After lunch, the second round of games saw more intense action, with Hank defeating Yavneth 3-1 on a hat-trick by Hank 8th grader Bernie Maslin, and Hartora shutting out YNJ 2-0 on the work of goalie Eitan Rabanapur to push both records out to 2-0 and advance out of the A division. Over in the B division, the action was just as intense. SAR and Halb would once again put up bagels in regulation and went to a shootout where SAR would edge the Lions out on an Akiva Hain goal in the third round, and YCQ and Kushner looked to be headed to the same fate after Kushner's Drew Rabinowitz tied the game at one late, until with one minute to go, YCQ's Sam Krupp, slammed home the game winner to give YCQ the 2-0 record and the automatic advance to the semis. Who would face them would be decided in a shootout as Halb and SAR wound up tied in points. Much like their last meeting, SAR would walk away with the win, setting up the semifinals to be Hank versus Hartora and YCQ versus SAR. Before that, though, came Mincha, T-shirt presentation, and a cool prize bag courtesy of LNS Enterprises and tournament main event sponsor MTA, as well as the prize raffle and the announcement that, once again, the tournament had met its goal of raising $10,000 for various Hatala organizations in the area. Once back on the court, Hank dispatched of host Hartora 2-0 on goals by Maslin and Hootie Silverman, and for the fourth time on the day, SAR would find themselves going to a shootout against YCQ. But much like the first game of the day, YCQ would walk away with the victory, scoring twice after SAR had taken the shootout lead to win 1-0 and advance to the finals. The championship would be a showcase of how unpredictable the tournament could be, as opposed to the regular season, as Hank, a New York League semifinalist, and YCQ, a New York League quarterfinalist, met from among a group of the eight top teams in the metropolitan area. 
In the final, Maslin would score again to bring his goal total up to five, and it would be all Hank would need on their way to a 2 nothing victory and their second Martin Weiselberg Tournament Championship. Their first since 2008 in what was ironically my first day as a head coach. Congratulations to Hank, head coach Rabbi Mord Harris, and the entire Hank Hurricanes team on the victory. For his efforts, Bernie Maslin was named Tournament MVP. All tournament team awards and other trophies, courtesy of Crown Trophy of Brooklyn, will be awarded over the week. Tournament footage will be available online in the coming days on our website, www.mwtournament.com. As always, a special thank you to Yeshiva Hartora and Rabbi Menchel for hosting our tournament once again this year. A huge thank you to the rest of our sponsors, Off the Wall Frozen Yogurt and Camp David, and a special thank you to all the sponsors and donors for their contributions. And with that, the 10th Annual Martin Weiselberg Memorial Hockey Tournament and another school year are in the books. Have a great summer, everyone. For the final time in the 2014-2015 school year, that was your JM in the AM Sports Update. I'm Elliot Weiselberg. If I seem a little distant with a twinkle in my eye There's a very special reason you will find Today is on a Tuesday and the kids learn olive base And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind Yes, I walk against the many as they're groping in the night. And I've tried to share the Torah in a rhyme. And the boys are now bar mitzvah and Wednesday night is here. And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind. sees a chuppah and the weather is getting cold and the Torah scroll is turning and we are growing old and the jokers and the scoffers they're running out of time and you know that I got Shabbos yeah you know I got Shabbos on my mind It's a Friday morning sunrise, no time to mess around. I'm the old man who dovin' right on time. And your prayers get more sincere as old friends pass away. And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind. Deception, cause he knows just who you are. A hunger to be holy while feeling very far. And the jokers and the scoffers, they're running out of time. And you know that I got Shabbos. Yeah, you know I got Shabbos on my mind. It's a Friday sunset, no time to mess around, I'm the old man who dubbing right on time, and your prayers get more sincere when old friends pass away, and you know that I got Shabbos, yeah you 
know I got Shabbos, you know I got Shabbos on my mind.
Kramer, that's Sormi Shalom. Before that, Bum Bum, done by Benny Friedman, off of the uh, With All My Souls CD. The Maccabees had Draw You Cry, Yoel Sharabi in there with Shalom Aleichem, and Moshe Yes, the great Moshe Yes with Shabbos on my mind. Friday morning broadcast, JM in the AM on this June 19th, the 2nd of Tammuz. Hope you had a great Rosh Chodesh. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Korach. With candle lighting time at 8.10 later today. 8.10 is candle lighting time. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Sunday is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day from all of us here at JM in the AM. A note about JM Sunday before we get to our weekly update. Matis Weingast has announced that this coming Sunday, starting at 8.15 a.m. Eastern Time on our stream. His guest will be Dr. Emmanuel Navon. Dr. Navon is author of a brand new book, The Victory of Zionism, reclaiming the narrative about Israel's domestic, regional, and international challenges. And at 8.15 Sunday morning, uh, Matis will speak with Dr. Navon on JM Sunday. So make sure to note that. And, of course, you'll hear it on jmtheam.org. Big thank you to our friends at jewishworldreview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend us as an incredible 24-hour live stream to their readers. You can print out thousands of articles before Shabbos to write, or to read, rather, <laughs> and to become educated about so much happening in this world of ours. And again, a big thank you to our friends at OnlySimplest.com who continue to take our content and share it with their millions of uh, readers around the world. And it's a big uh, 
big thing for us, and we greatly appreciate it. They have totally expanded from just being uh, about smachot, uh, just being about simchas, and have expanded to so much other uh, great news and anecdotes from around the Jewish world. And it is much appreciated. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. In his first appearance before a um, a Jewish audience, at least that's what it says here, uh, addressing 1,500 guests on the occasion of the Jewish Cares 25th anniversary dinner in London. The Duke of Cambridge said, during a year when many in the Jewish community have had cause to feel under threat for no reason other than simply the fact of your Jewishness, your unity is all the more precious. Your commitment and loyalty to one another and to society more widely is ultimately what keeps you strong. Malcolm, isn't it nice to have an international figure like this actually acknowledge and and tell us that there is great Jewish unity out there. Well, I guess he listens to the show, so he recognizes <laughs> how important unity is. But I think that uh, it's it's not something that's that unusual to hear that kind of comment from uh, people who look at our community and perceive the, the, the unity and the sense of oneness that we feel, that despite the, the immense differences fact is that we come together like perhaps no one else in the world, no other group, who, and because we recognize a common destiny and a common fate, that you remember during the Soviet Jewry movement, people mm. invented conspiracy theories, as they did whenever Jews stood up for other Jews, saying, look, we don't march and demonstrate for Baptists, for Christians who are being persecuted behind the, the Iron Curtain uh, as we're Jews. So there must be a conspiratorial theory behind it. There's got to be some sort of a, of a plot involved. And it has been true throughout our history. And unfortunately, sometimes Jews don't recognize the importance of the unity and the commonality of our interests despite whatever differences may exist. Oh, no question about it. And it's important to be reminded of it. Last week I mentioned that uh, someone had said to me that the only way to defeat Iran is with Jewish unity, and if we continue to give this message to the next generations, then uh, maybe we'll make some progress in this area. It is, in fact, the only way. You've got to be unified from within, Malcolm, before you start to try to make efforts uh, you know, on the outside. And with that in mind, by the way, and being unified and, of course, uh, being representative of the Jewish people in, a, in an appropriate fashion when it comes to other others in this world, what is the appropriate response, reaction, um, uh, emotion uh, that we should be uh, sending out um, uh, to other communities when a, uh, a terrible tragedy like the one that happened in the, uh, in the church in, in the Carolinas happened this week? Well, as you saw, the Jewish communities, uh, in the Jewish community organizations and the local Jewish community rose to the occasion uh, not only offering assistance but speaking out because we recognize that hate has no limits and when somebody acts and carries out uh, such a travesty and a tragic uh, event that uh, we have to look at the causes of the hatred that that uh, we all become victims of it. Yeah. We all have to be on the front lines in this battle and a lot of people unfortunately in our community although some might find this hard to believe don't always see that but uh, especially if you're in a position of leadership consider it consider how important it is to make the proper statements and to convey the proper message in the aftermath 
of an event like this, and some of the rabbis in our community may want to keep that in mind as they address their congregations tomorrow. Uh, first, for, speaking of other religions and groups, first Friday of Ramadan, anything of uh, of note, because sometimes we know, uh, especially on the first Friday and sometimes the last of Ramadan, there's activity on the Temple Mount that's uh, of violent nature. Any reports today on this first day of Ramadan? There were many, many people, and the uh, but but it seems that the uh, was peaceful. There were thousands, uh, tens of thousands, who actually uh, went. And um, from all the reports we have so far, is that it was peaceful. All right. Uh, last week, and we, I have a feeling we'll be speaking about this for a long time. I want to remind our audience that for about 10 years before anybody spoke about Islamic fundamentalism, Malcolm Holmline was speaking about it on a regular basis on this show. And I think the new one might be BDS because everybody out there, as we've been emphasizing, has a role uh, they can play in this war. And you have emphasized over the last month the importance of different groups, including government groups, taking action when it comes to BDS. I'm sure you're aware that the New York State Assembly has now passed an anti-BDS resolution. I am very much aware the principal sponsor was uh, Chuck Liming from uh, Long Island. I've spoken to him about it. Our Lawfare Project has been working uh, on this uh, around the country, as have other groups. Uh, And I think this is uh, very important. I've spoken to Governor Cuomo about this, and he was very supportive of the idea. It moved quickly and uh, uh, with great support across the board from all elements uh, i think the uh, uh that reaction was very uh, significant you know that there was also a resolution in the city council of new york mm. uh, in the assembly it was only charles barron and i know that there are people talking about in the city council about doing the same uh. but uh, i think it was only charles barron and many people got up and spoke against them people from across the border and all uh Aspects of the community of the the, the the constituency of the assembly. So it was really an important demonstration. There are 18 states now considering it. Uh, there are differences between some of the states. Some of them, uh, some of the resolutions they take passed don't have teeth. This has because it deals with pension funds, with business doing business with the state. It has uh, you know penalties that that uh, could impact businesses that succumb to the BDS. And we're finding more and more places, by the way, that are beginning to wake up to, as you said, something we've been trying to get people to pay attention to. But everybody yawned when we said BDS. Today, people uh, use the term as if it's a uh, it's common language. Uh, but you know that in Sweden, where this was, they were at the forefront of all this effort. They have reversed that policy now, and the government came out against it and warned companies, particularly one. Um, one uh, set up one supermarket chain of the uh, stores uh, right. that that uh, had agreed to to participate in the boycott and warned them that if they did they would not have business with the government etc. So this is the first time that we're seeing real reversals in countries where I guess they would say that they were at the forefront of the right. Yeah, in the Swedish case, you know, you, you hate to see it because of economic pressure, but okay, that's what it takes, right? <laughs> economic pressure but it doesn't matter most right. they, they could there's counter pressures as well that's what they were using right no question so this is very important that the, that they took an official action and hope it'll be replicated in other places but there is a recognition increasing uh around that the that acknowledges that bds is in fact 
an anti-Semitic movement. And by the way, and this may be the, well, never a wrong time of year, maybe it may be a lighter time of year because the school year is just coming to an end, but as faculty and principals get ready for September and they try to, you know, rev up their Israel advocacy programs in their respective schools, you know, it, when, it, when, it come to, when it came to Islamic fundamentalism in Iran, you know, I don't know how many, you know, teenagers were motivated to, you know, get to the forefront of the movement, a la the Soviet jury movement, where, you know, you know, there was so much, uh, so much of it was dominated by the youth, thank God, and they were very effective, and they, they took great pride and really loved all the activities they were involved with and they coordinated. Here is an opportunity. I see it. I see it among Jewish teens in our area. Uh, there are many of them who are be- becoming motivated by this whole BDS push to push back and to form groups and to arrange protests and rallies and to speak to their own local councils, legislatures, etc. The youth can play a very, and they're very enthusiastic about it. The youth can play a very, and it's easy to understand as well. Sometimes with Iran, it's not as simple. The youth can play a very vital role in all of this moving forward. Absolutely, and we still have to get it through the New York State Senate. And importantly, we want to see Congress move on this issue as well as on a, I'd say, related issue, and that is the definition of anti-Semitism that the State Department uh, has adopted, which is very forthcoming. Uh, The EU has done the same, by the way. But we want to see the Department of Education, for instance, the U.S. Department of Education, adopt this language so that on campuses that receive federal funding, there will be a standard against which they can be matched, and that includes BDS and anti-Israel activities. It doesn't mean criticism of a policy of Israel right. or that people can't have differences, but that is not what BDS and what uh, what this law would, would cover. So there are important efforts, and as you said, their voices count, their voices will be heard as much as anyone else's if they speak up on it. And it's difficult for you to do all this yourself, but uh, as you did years ago when it comes to issues like this, if there are schools or groups or large gatherings, especially those who coordinate these big trips and stuff, that want to be addressed by somebody and be inspired, if you can't do it yourself, you'll help them find the appropriate person to come and inspire the group. And we just want to see this become a real, you know, just pick up momentum and, and really develop into a into a movement. Because if the youth don't get involved to the degree they have in past causes, like I mentioned, Soviet jury, then it's never going to reach the, the point where we want, we were wanted to reach. And part of it is, is uh, really what happens in school, the education that they get about uh, these issues. Right now we're dealing with several really vital, long-term, consequential issues like BDS and the campaign against anti-Semitism, which unfortunately we see growing all over, the campaign against the growth of international terrorism, ISIS and others, and of course the leader of the international cabal of terrorism, Iran. And we're coming closer and closer to deadlines on it. But also when we see that the International Criminal Court has said that the Palestinians next week are going to file or present their first file against Israel uh, to the chief prosecutor, uh, Fatou Bensouda, who ha- has interestingly told the Palestinians that, understand, you are going to be the subject also of an investigation, that if we investigate Israel, we're going to do you as well for war crimes. And as we know, the war crimes on the Palestinian side in Gaza, the Hamas, and using the um, people as civilian shields and using children especially as human shields in, against Israeli bombing and targeting 
Israeli civilians, as opposed to Israel, which clearly, and in reports that they have put out, show that they tried to avoid civilian casualties. The numbers of casualties is half of what the U.N. report that will come out today or uh, this weekend uh, will show that the, the complete distortion about uh, the steps that Israel took, which an international commission of, of generals, uh, former chiefs of staff from Britain, Germany, etc., came to Israel, studied it, and said hey, they, they go far beyond. And some of them are critical about how much, uh, the, the extent to which Israel has instituted precautions. And yet this issue, which people will dismiss, the International Criminal Court, as you said, with BDS, people just dismiss it. When I tell them, look, this is really important, even members of Congress, you know, they, they say, oh, the U.N., who cares? Yeah. It matters. That's where all of these things find their roots. And once they, they get in and, and they have the imprimatur of an international body, it gives them legitimacy. And by the way, I said to you a few weeks ago that it seems every time we get into this area of the calendar, we're always starting to talk about the UN, and the truth is, I'm sure you'd agree that the work that you're doing now will affect what in fact does happen in September when everyone's going to be outraged when something happens at the UN they don't like. So now is when the work's got to be done. You're absolutely, we are targeting it. We are working it now very hard, uh, not only because uh, of that, but because we know that uh, we could face some very serious maneuvers at the Security Council, including, you know, the plan that France, New Zealand, others have suggested to to present the framework time timeline, perhaps impose deadlines for talks between Israel and the Palestinians, even though you see this week that the Palestinians announced the, that the PA would dissolve, it, 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 and he did. They don't mean that the Palestinian Authority per se will will dissolve, but the unity government between the PA, including Hamas, that has been dissolved because they can't get along, and because Hamas is not letting them into the into Gaza anyway, and they don't want the burden, so they announced that they... So how can Israel negotiate when they themselves can't find common cause? Right, and and, and that... Because I was confused when I read this. That leads to a more likely scenario where ISIS can move in if, if there's a rift between Hamas and the PA or has nothing to do with that? No, it does have something to do with it. You're touching on something very interesting because there was a report that showed that ISIS now enjoys 14% support in Gaza may sound very low, but this is growing, and it started off at 1% or 2%. And they also are showing uh, similar growth in the, in the Sinai Peninsula. So this is, this, they do take advantage of the, of the splits. They do take advantage of the divisions that exist and exploit any unrest in any... Uh, and because the uh, government, the PA itself, is seen as corrupt and unpopular... Hamas took advantage of one point. Now Hamas is seen in the same light, and therefore ISIS is taking, it's called IS in Jerusalem, mm. uh, the, the ISIS presence there. We don't, you know, no one ever knows how big it really is. But the fact that they fired some rockets, that they were challenging Hamas, is exactly that, that they take advantage of the situation. Hamas has tried to kill them and has tried to, to go after some of them because... Uh, not because they're concerned about the attacks on Israel, but because they see it as a threat to their uh, their legitimacy and their hegemony over the people of Gaza. Yeah, <laughs> soon Hamas will be the moderates in this entire picture, and they'll be yelling at Israel for not negotiating with them. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at ninety one point nine in the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org.
All right, allow me for a moment to put words in your mouth, Mr. Honeline. If Michael Oren, the former ambassador, was with you now, you might say to him, you know, your comments and observations about the relationship between President Obama and Prime Minister Netanyahu would likely have been better. It would have been better if you would have made these observations and released your book once both had left their positions. Would that be something you might say to him? No, I don't think so. Um there are a lot of questions about the, some of the comments. They're, they're very strong and harsh. And, you know, when, when you use uh, the economy that he presented, that both mistakes were made on both sides, but on one side it's deliberate, and that, uh, that President Obama has abandoned Israel. W- what is, to me, the most interesting outcome is a poll that will show today that I think 50% of Israelis agree with Warren. Now, I think on a diplomatic front, and, and uh, for given the current tensions, this doesn't help, but it does put in very stark terms exactly what the situation is and how he, having sat at the, at the uh, pinnacle of the relationship between the United States and Israel, that and his unique perspective, and it's not stuff that he said when he was the ambassador, uh, that, and as an historian and somebody who doesn't come from Likud uh, and was not seen as that close to to the uh, to the government to Netanyahu, uh, coming from him, I think it's given greater credence and certainly greater uh, examination of of the charges. Yeah, but if you felt that this was you know in the bigger picture for the people of Israel, for Israel advocates around the world if this would be if if this would only be causing problems or creating more of a rift between Washington and Jerusalem might you not advise one to just table the discussion for a couple of years look it sounds like the way you're reacting it sounds like this might be good for the whole mix this might be a good thing to shake things up look i don't think we need anything now that adds tensions or uh further drives wedges between the United States and Israel. Right now we need to bring things back together. The two have too much in common, too much, too many common interests. But at the same time, when people only put the onus on Netanyahu and blame him for everything that has happened, I think this book balances that somewhat. And, and, and frankly, if there's a truth, it's not for me to say whether that truth should come out now or should come out later. It's sometimes it's a question of how you phrase it, and and as I've not yet read the book, I have it, and I will. Uh, so I don't know how much of the phrasing in the press is his, or how much of it is reporters, you know, uh, interpolating what he had to say. But you know, he's an, he's a, a serious observer. It's not something uh, that can be dismissed. Its impact is going to be very clear. As I said, if, if that those are the numbers in Israel, uh, according to this uh, poll that was done in the last few days, uh, it tells us that there is a serious problem, and the people of Israel, uh, I don't think you've ever seen numbers like this when it comes to, at least recently, in terms of the the trust level uh, with the president, uh, then it's it's stuff that if you expose it, you have a chance of addressing it. Yeah, my point is only that it's bad timing, but you say it may not not be necessarily bad timing. which Oren belongs and, and is a member of the Knesset uh, through him. Uh, but the Prime Minister did not 
Washington, who seems to have refused to to disassociate or criticize uh, Oren at this point. Any reaction from Washington? I mean, the White House is not going to acknowledge anything in this regard, right? No, there are people uh, like Dan Shapiro, the ambassador to Israel, who has been very sharply critical, saying that he was at some of those same meetings and that it's not a correct account of, of what took place. You know, I don't expect that you will see Ambassador Oren invited to too many White House uh, <laughs> dinners in the near coming future. <laughs> Can I quote you on that? <laughs> he will be on a national tour, uh, you know, and too many people just dismiss it cynically as saying, look, he's just selling books and you don't sell books unless you get attention and you create controversy. Uh, but he has a, he's a young guy and he has a long future, so he knows there is an inherent in this. So if he was simply trying to get across a message and sound a warning that we have another what, 570 days, 60 days of, the, of this with this administration. Sounds like you're counting, Malcolm. Uh, I don't count. Uh, <laughs> this is Spiros, uh, Obama. Spiros no. administration. And by the way, what do you think of Donald Trump tossing his hat into the ring? He may be the next president. Um, that would be an interesting choice, no? I certainly think that this is an interesting array of Republican candidates. I think he's somebody who will get a lot of attention. He could affect the debate. He takes very strong positions, as you saw, and he's not afraid to say things, even things he hasn't thought through before. A lot of potent foreign policy positions, by the way. A, a lot, and more than others. Uh, you know, I saw a study that showed the percentage of time being given to foreign affairs issues at a time when America is facing such serious challenges. I think it's inevitable, especially regarding Iran in the coming weeks as we get closer uh, to the to the deadline and the examination of issues. We see the, the blowback now because of Secretary Kerry's comments uh, about uh, saying that we're not fixated on the, the on, on deadline, on certain timing. Uh, he wrote to Senator Lindsey Graham saying that, that he didn't mean that the PMD, which is past military developments or potential military developments, Meaning how, what Iran did before and especially about their, their, the, the military dimension of the nuclear program. And they have said that all their military sites are going to be off limits and the indications were from some of the reports that the administration is accepting that and coming on top of some of the other, uh, what appear to be concessions, uh, to the Iranians. Secretary Kerry's comments caused a storm, and for three days this week, it was the lead issue in all of the State Department uh, press briefings, and their position kept shifting over the days until Kerry's uh, denial of, of the reports that he didn't mean to say that they weren't fixated on it, he understood it, So, me- meaning given up on this issue. Meaning they would prefer if he gave the impression that there was a hard June 30th deadline. It is not about the deadline. It is about, there is it, there is no deadline, and I doubt that we're going to see June thirtieth. Uh, we already see enough indications. The Iranians would like a kick down the road. I think they would like altogether not to have a, a, a deal as much as to have reach understandings and then just continue to coast because they're gaining a lot during this time. And we see the the conferences. There was one in London of the world national uh, oil companies uh, that that uh, people from the major oil companies were swamping the Iranian representatives talking about you know future deals. So when we talk about the snapback provision, it's clear that that's going to be very difficult, that once you have these deals in place, they're not going to 
uh, essentially fall apart or, or be canceled right away. Right. But that, but this was not about the question of the deadline. This was a question of whether the United States, as when the president appeared to give up on the military option and on other things that Senator Corker, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, wrote to the president about, that these main elements of what it was supposed to be the core of the American position seems to be uh, seems to be eroded now. The secretary uh, has clearly said to him that he, it's not what he meant. He, we are continuing to press about past military developments and about some of the other issues that, about getting access to the facilities. And I've heard from people in bomb talks that there's only 50-50 chance that they'll reach a deal in June or even immediately thereafter. Others are saying that uh, it could be even harder, that the, that the differences on a lot of the key issues, despite even if these concessions were real, right. that uh, despite this, they're still uh, far apart. And the core of what this, the Secretary had said was that we have the knowledge that we know what they're doing, when in fact the former CIA head, Michael Hayden, and others said we don't know. I mean, if we knew all these things, and right. why is it important? Because if you don't have this information, we have no baseline against which to measure. If we don't know how far they have come, we won't. The inspectors aren't going to know what to look for. And if the military sites are off base, meaning forbidden from the inspections regime, then all of the, what we will do is shift everything there. Much of it, we believe is there even now. Yeah, I got that. In the military facility. Prime Minister Netanyahu this past weekend, when he addressed these concessions and, you know, expressed his objection to them, uh, I thought he was specifically talking about the rush to get to June 30th. You're saying one has nothing to do with the other. The, the, the Israeli position was don't feel bound by this June 30th deadline because right. their fear is that under the pressure of a deadline they'll make a bad deal just to be able to have a deal. And he's saying don't feel bound and you shouldn't We'd rather see the talks be extended than end up with a deal that uh, you know would be a bad one. Yeah, no deal better than a bad deal. We've heard that many, many times. Uh, you got to explain the Morsi situation to me. I understand that he was sentenced to death by an Egyptian court, right? And he was um, he was he was democratically elected, whatever that means in quotation marks in Egypt, correct? Regular regular election, and eventually, and the Muslim Brotherhood at that point is essentially during his regime, essentially controlling Egypt, right? Right. And then he he's how does he leave, by what method does he leave office? It's a coup. Well, essentially a coup. Uh, but a military coup, elected. right? And the question is whether he was really democratically elected, whether the Muslim Brotherhood didn't carry on all sorts of uh, nefarious activities that led to, to uh, that resulted in the election, and there was a lot of corruption, and in the year that he was there, that he engaged in all sorts of activities that were seen as harmful to the Egyptian economy, Egyptian security, etc. And it was, that was grounds, and that he was guilty of uh, crimes, crimes against humanity, I guess, because of what the Muslim Brotherhood did it, under his uh, leadership, killing many people and being responsible for the deaths of people. So I assume that's the basis on which the, he was prosecuted uh, and sentenced. It doesn't mean that they will carry out the death uh, penalty. Right, yeah, it sure. happened in other cases. Uh, and maybe just locking him up and not letting him be a martyr would be a better uh, route for them at this point. I guess my question is, is Egypt the exception? Would, would 
Would we see this type of trial in other Middle Eastern countries? Sure, and we do all the time. And the look, Egypt is not uh, is not the model of human rights yet, and, and there are many complaints. The American government has registered them; others have, not just in regard to this, but we also have to look at the circumstances uh, in which uh, uh, President Sisi is operating, and and in some of the other countries where the the uh, actions of governments when dealing with this kind of a terror, these kind of terrorist threats, whether it's in the Central Asian countries, for instance, and others, who come under very sharp criticism and even sanctions from the United States uh, at a time when they are trying to be pro-Western, they're trying to throw off the yoke of these Islamist uh, terrorist uh, threats. And uh, I think you have to cut them some slack. At the same time, we press for you know, human rights improvements and, and the movement and all the guarantee of the rights that we all take for granted. Should Egypt be applauded for sentencing Morsi to death? No, it's not a question of applauding or not applauding. Egypt, the government obviously is taking actions against the Muslim Brotherhood. They have sworn to destroy it. The American government has supported the Muslim Brotherhood being included in the government. And in Egypt is seen as a backer and supporter, which is very detrimental to America's uh, image and the, and the feelings towards it in uh, in Egypt, but also in other parts of the Middle East who look at that and think that we are too cozy. And when they, when members of the Muslim Brotherhood are received at the State Department or at the White House, as has happened recently, uh, it causes an uproar there. At the same time, there are legitimate concerns and legitimate issues that are raised there and in other countries, but it's a question of weighing the priorities and and seeing the context in which some of these things take place. Was the uh, number two man in Yemen's chapter of ISIS killed this week? It appears. America's, uh, the United States is responsible for that, right? It seems so, or at least uh, equipment that may have been manufactured in the United States. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? I mean, you've told us that you've described for us over the last few weeks the terrible situation that Yemen is in right now, and I understand that you know one one man's assassination may not change much, but I mean, the, you know, the world doesn't pay much attention to this at all, and it seems they're always getting. You know, they're always getting one of these um, ISIS operatives, but never taking out the leader of the entire group. A uh, lot more number twos than number ones, usually, is what we're hearing. And we've heard many reports, and some of which proved to be true and, not, and some not true. We saw the case recently of a uh, Hamas terrorist leader who actually turns out alive when they thought he had been killed. Um, sometimes they, they put out reports of people being killed to get the West off their backs and not to have dr- drones following them. Uh, but this is a case that appears to be true. Okay, so my question is, is that ma- it's important because, you you know, you can only kill a snake by cutting off its head. And here, if you don't cut off the, the leaders, if you don't at the same time try to stop the recruitment and stop the, the supply of weapons, etc., but going after the leadership of terrorist entities is a legitimate and necessary step on the part of the West. Does the enemy suffer a setback? You would yes. say yes. Absolutely. Simple as that. A fifth suspect pleaded not guilty in a Brooklyn federal court for his alleged role in a plot to aid ISIS. An Uzbek national was charged with attempted conspiracy to provide material support to the organization back Thursday, June the 11th. I bring this up. Just to remind everybody, and I know you like to emphasize it, that you know the enemy is in our backyard, so to speak, and it's not one person. In this case, it's already up to five in this specific case. And this is Brooklyn. You know, this is essentially our backyard. 
you know, as many times as we try to tell them and try to tell people, not not just in the Jewish community, government officials, others, that uh, about this issue and about the growth of the presence here of Islamist entities and of terrorist-linked uh, groups. And when there were cases in Brooklyn over the years, and I would bring them up, and people say, oh, it's so depressing. It's all... Because if you leave it go, then the re- it keeps spreading. It's a cancer that metastasizes and is spread and affects many more people. It's really critical that we uh, uh, act against them, that the law enforcement infiltrate, use whatever means necessary. We, we keep cutting back on the freedom of, of uh, uh, movement for a lot of the security services, including the police, and dealing with uh, some of these uh, groups, because they, they operate from within society. They use the cover of civilian society to establish themselves and to raise funds. It was that one ice cream guy, if you remember, had raised $20 million right. for terrorist entities for Hezbollah, uh, in in uh, Brooklyn, I think it was alleged, and he was convicted, and many more. And because it becomes so commonplace, these trials, this is four people arrested here in this case. But how many cases do we have of kids now being being enlisted and being uh, either to go to, to ISIS from America or being involved in potential terrorist activities? Malcolm, question on the NSN app. How significant is the Adelson-Saban coalition in the fight against BDS? Well, we'll have to see. This is an early stage, and they brought people together, had them all, you know, do dog and pony shows, and I, I don't know enough to say what, what will happen. And finally, I read the Caroline Glick piece. I mean, do, do you agree with her assessment that Israel has um, ha- has looked at the region, um, it, 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 has looked at the region of its neighbors, has looked at the Middle East, um, as one general Arab population, if Israel would view it in the you know specific groups and all the different you know um, uh, all the different groups that the that the Arab population has, they would make more progress. In other words, uh, in this case, she's talking about that if there was a better relationship and if they use the Druze community more to their advantage, there could be bridges built between Israel through the Druze community uh, to other groups like the Druze in places like Syria, etc. I think in the case of the Druze, uh, Israel has tried to uh, maintain a relationship, has done things which don't make it into the press, that, that in this current circumstance where the Druze have been targeted and because the war is coming sometimes closer to the Golan and the populations. The Druze are not just in the Golan, by the way. They are heavily concentrated in other areas. But that population now found itself um, under tremendous pressure, the lack of food, etc. Israel has tried to help Israel, issued warnings that they would uh, not to attack them and to protect them. Uh, but they don't want to just open the border to have an influx of people. They have provided aid from the Druze community in Israel, provided uh, 10 million shekels in, in assistance. Israel has also been providing assistance. But the point you're making is right, that we can't look at the Middle East as a monolith. You don't look at all of the groups involved as a monolith. Too often they've been driven together into an anti-Israel position because of the pressures of the regimes in which in the countries in which they're founded. But I can tell you that we have contact with leaders of many groups and in, in Syria, for instance, right now, and, and outreach by them, initiated by them, um, to to talk to us and talk to the Jewish community. Of course, they all want to be pro-Israel until they get elected or get into power. 
but there, the, the point is right that it's not a monolithic region. That even within each country, Turkey, for instance, you can't condemn all the people of Turkey because they have a regime led by this crazy man Erdogan, who is now very frustrated because of of the outcome of the election. Uh, but there is a changing attitude in, in in parts of the Middle East, in part because of of practical realities, in part because of America's perceived withdrawal that Israel looms much larger and that they have this common interest especially against Iran. So Israel I think doesn't just look at the them in uh, as a, as a monolithic group but certainly the Druze there are anti-Israel Druze. There are also pro-Israel Druze and certainly the Druze in Israel some of uh, many serve in the army and are very loyal to the to the state. Um, it's also good news. You know that the 3,000th B'nai Menashe member, the, the Jews from India, arrived this week in Israel. Wow. That's pretty amazing. We talk about uh, the Kabbatzenu Yachad Me'arbakan Fota'aretz, don't we? Absolutely. The ingathering of the exiles in the center of the world, for at least for our world, and that's, of course, Israel. And look what happens. Look what's going on. Just amazing. By the way, have you contacted Ban Ki-moon about his statements regarding Gaza's children in Israel? Sure regular touch with them and you know why i say that i i i remember how heartwarming it was and i think you would describe it the same way if not tell me when he was at your dinner and seemed to be prideful being there and addressing the crowd and was an admirer of your work and the conference's work in general and then he makes these statements and it makes me feel like hey isn't that the same guy who was so friendly that night <laughs> but anyway no the, he, he, this guy is it's a complex situation Right. Even by Israeli diplomats and others' assessment that he is not hostile, he's, he's often a vi- uh, becomes a victim of the people around him. That does not excuse it. We hold him to account for what he says, for what he fails to do. We do it publicly, we do it privately, we do it through activities at the UN. Uh, we don't dismiss it. You can never dismiss what happens at the UN. We have to hold his feet to the fire. But at the same time, in the last uh, three weeks, he issued two or three really important statements. Uh, about both about the investigations and about uh, some of the activities against Israel, so it is. And, and Israelis are being appointed now to to somebody. An Israeli official was appointed to a key position at the Fifth Commission this week. You know there are contradictory uh, things that go on, uh, and where he personally may be is not necessarily reflected. He becomes the, the hostage of uh, of the United Nations, which is why again the counter pressure. By us, by others, friends, and I can tell you that there are people in the Iran, in the UN administration, who have been very supportive and who work with us, who advise us on the steps to take, and have helped us see problems long before they surface. Right. All right, Malcolm. Great report as usual. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak Good again Shabbos, next week. Everybody. There he is, Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update podcast. Information on the homepage at jmnam.org. Go to the news section for that. And uh, weekly update Friday, 7.40 Eastern Time on these airwaves and around the world on the web. And, of course, the NSN app. Candle lighting at 8.10 on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Korach. Sunday is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dear old dads out there. This time each and every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. 
Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Korach. Parshas Korach, which according to the Chinuch, contains five positive mitzvos and four restrictions, <coughs> including the positive mitzvah of Pidyon Haben, is one of those parshios which, again, <coughs> annually does not get easier. Give out. How could a brilliant man, who the rabbis explain, was wealthy, wise, and among those who were no se'eharon, literally, he was one of those that carried the ark. How could he be so foolish to unfortunately bring himself down literally in such a terrible way that God has to create a phenomena that the earth swallows him up? How could he bring down these 250 men and cause nothing less than a magefa, a plague amongst the people? The answer before we get started is kina, tava, and kavod, as we're taught in Pirkei Avos, which we highlight, especially during the summer months. Jealousy is something which literally can motzian esa adam olam, literally cause a person to be as in the case of Korach, taken out of his world. Doesn't enjoy what he has, and doesn't fagin what the next person has. A very sad story. I'd like to focus on one aspect of this story, and learn a very, very powerful lesson therefrom. We know that Korach comes with 250 men. What was bothering him? So Rashi cites from the Tanchuma that the jealousy with him stemmed from the fact that Korach says, look here, my father was one of four brothers. As the Torah teaches in Parshas Vo'era in chapter 6, Pasuk 18, that Kahas, the son of Levi, had four sons, Amram, Yitzhar, Hebron, and Uziel. So, reasons Korah. My uncle, Amram, he has two sons. His two sons, Moshe and Aaron, one became the king, the other one became the Kohen Gadol. I am from the second son, from Yitzhar. And therefore, now that it's time to have a Nasi, a prince, a leader over the family of Kahas, that aspect, that group of the Levian, surely it should be me. And instead of me being appointed, Moshe appointed a younger cousin a cousin, namely from not the second son of Kahas, but rather Uziel, Elit Safan, the son of Uziel. 
So this irritated, and Korach was so full of jealousy that, as the Ramban says, he was waiting for the right moment to strike. The right moment came right after the sin of the Miraglim. And the Jewish people are now destined to spend the next 39 years in the desert. So what could Korach give the people when he says, Look, should I not be your leader? He couldn't promise them a Carvel or Starbucks, even with the proper Hashkocha. So what could Korach give them? He could give them kavod. What does that mean? He could give them more honor. After all, through the sin of the Egel Hazav, because of the golden calf, the kahuna, so to speak, who would be the spiritual leader, was taken away from the firstborn that otherwise would have meant that in each family, the firstborn son would have been the priest going to the mikdash on behalf of the family. Each family would have their own kohen. This was taken away and given to the tribe of Levi. Korach says, if I'm your leader, I will restore the honor to you. And so the motivation was for kavod. And therefore, who does he take? 250 men, the majority of whom are from the tribe of Reuven, his neighbor. And again, Reuven easily can be motivated because he too was the firstborn of Yaakov, but he too was overlooked for all of the, quote, important aspects, kingship, etc. And so it is the unfortunate motivation of honor and jealousy which prompts Korach and the 250 men to challenge Moshe and Aaron. What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do in order to settle this duel between the 250 and Aaron? Moshe instructs them to take Ketores, incense, and we'll see, says Moshe, whomever their incense is accepted, that's the one that God has chosen. And we know the 250 men die, Aaron's Ketores is accepted. I'd like to ask, why was specifically Ketores chosen as the vehicle to be the machria, the determining factor as to who was right and wrong. I'd like to share with you a very insightful Medrash Tanchuma found at the end of Parshas Titzaveh. And I read, and the Medrash says as follows, Amar HaKadosh Baruch says God, from all the offerings that you bring, that which is most precious to me is the Ketores. Why? 
Shekola Karbonos Kulan, all other offerings, L'Sarcheim Shel Yisrael, are all for various needs of the Jewish people. Ketzad, how so? The Chatas, the sin offering, is coming to atone for sin. The Asham, Again, a guilt offering is for various transgressions. The Ola, the burnt offering, comes for Hirohalev, for the wrong thoughts. Shlamim is also a kapara, an atonement for positive mitzvot that were done incorrectly. Avol HaKetores, the Incense, the burning of the incense was It's not coming for any transgression. There's no other reason but to bring joy and dedicate that happiness to God, namely, it's found at the end of Parshas Tetzaveh. Not the Mizbeach HaKetores, the altar of incense, is not listed in Parshas Truma with all the other furniture of the Beis HaMikdash because while the others were vehicle to perhaps bring the Shekhinah, the Ketores was used in honor of the Shekhinah. The purpose of the incense that was brought every day in the Beis Amigdash was to honor Hashem for no other reason. And so basically we see something very important from the Ketores. It's the purity of intent. And this is what God finds so special, it is what you would call the Shema, for the sake of, for no ulterior motive. And something very interesting about the Ketores. The Ketores, as we find in the Gemara Yuma, Daf Mem Dalid, 44a, based upon the Pasuk, in Acharemos. Now, the Torah in Acharemos is speaking about the Avoda of Yom Kippur. And there it says that Bechol Adam Moed. At the time when the special service of the Ketores was done on Yom Kippur, when it was brought inside the Holy of Holies. Nobody else was able to be in the Heichol, in the sanctuary. And this, the Talmud teaches us, is true. Every day, every morning, every afternoon, when the Ketores was brought, the Kohen was there alone. There was no aspect of an individual showing himself off in front of others. The Ketores was pure, and the act of bringing the Ketores as well had to be done in a pure environment. And therefore, why was Ketores used to determine who was correct, the 250 or Aaron, because the Ketores represents this purity, and the Torah was showing the yes or not purity of motivation that Aaron had in a positive way and the lack of it that the 250 men as well. This is such a powerful idea. We find in 
Parshas Korach that the Torah says in chapter 17, Pasuk 5, literally that a person should not be like Korach and his assembly. The Talmud understands this to mean over What does that mean? That whoever holds on to an argument, meaning there are so many people that unfortunately parents don't talk to children. God forbid one sibling doesn't talk to another. So on the literal surface, the Torah is saying, Enough! Don't be machzik b'machlokes. Don't hold on to a grudge. Don't hold on to personal feelings and therefore keep a dispute going. Let it go and therefore bring shalom. But I would like to suggest that in addition, the Torah is teaching us that each and every one of us has to look at our performance of mitzvot. What is motivating us? Are we motivating ourselves in order that we should have more acclaim, in order that others should look upon us differently? And that's why when I daven in shul and I daven at home, it's a different kind of davening. Of course we should be davening in shul with a minion. But even when unfortunately I cannot daven at home, and maybe I might even have a better opportunity, I don't plan it that way, but to be able to daven even with greater kavana, the idea is what is motivating all of us when it comes to the giving of charity. And not only that, when we criticize others, what is the reason for that criticism? You've got to ask yourself twice. Is it to build ourselves up? And that's why, interestingly, the Gemara says that while the Ketores is brought for no other reason, the Gemara in Zvachim, Daf Peiches, Amid Beis teaches us that something which is brought bechashai, something which is brought literally in secret, where no one else is there, when the Kohen offers the incense in the Beis Amigdash, morning and night, it is mechaper for the Lashon Hara, which is most often said bechashai, which is said in private as well. The concept behind Pasha's Korach is that not only are the actions that we do significant, but the motivation behind those actions are equally as important and significant as well. You're having a hard day. You should work on yourself that this is not shared with others. Others look at your face, they should see a smile. You owe it to them. And this selfish hakpada, this emphasis on me, they didn't invite me. I did not get an aliyah, or I didn't get the aliyah that I should have gotten. We don't always see it in ourselves. We see it in Korach. And therefore the Torah says that each and every one of us 
should take a good look at their motives and try to make sure that they are a little bit purer. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Amazing. Chazanyanki Lemmer. He was part of that big summer stage show. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Reminder, tomorrow night, Andy Statman. He is um, at Joe's Pub tomorrow night in Lower Manhattan starting at 1130. And as we said earlier in the week, he is well worth it. <laughs> it is well worth staying up till 1 a.m. on a Saturday night and enjoying a, a show in downtown Manhattan when Andy Statman is at the center of it. He and his trio together tomorrow night starting at 11.30, part of Coulter Fest NYC. A big shout-out to everyone who's made that festival such a success. An amazing week in New York City. Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach, candlelighting at 8.10. Hey, one of our one of our app commenters says, Hey, what about the young dads out there? So happy Father's Day to all the dear young dads as well. <laughs> I didn't think I was insulting anybody. Coming up at 9 o'clock, coming up at 9 o'clock right after JM in the AM, Naomi Nachman with Table for Two, her guest, Dini Klein from Dini Delivers, who not only has a food blog, but an amazing YouTube channel with cooking demos. Also, Instagram sensation Shushi Turin of Cooking in Heels will be Naomi's guest as well. You can see the whole show on the homepage of NachumSiegel.com. You can hear it on all our platforms coming up at 9 a.m. right after JM in the AM. So that's a lot of fun. I want to thank Mayor Fertig for sitting in yesterday morning. I want to thank Mark Zomick for sitting in yesterday during a live lunch. Thanks to everybody who helped give me a day off yesterday. Much appreciated. want to wish a mazel tov to Yossi and Chana Sara Abramowitz in Passaic, New Jersey. Birth of a baby boy, the upcoming Shalom Zachar, or, if we're going to say it in proper Hebrew, the upcoming Shalom Zachar and Briss happening tonight and tomorrow on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Mazel tov to the Abramowitz and Rosner families. I'll toss in a big mazel tov to a Mr. and Mrs. Hondo Abramowitz as um, they celebrate becoming grandparents. So we say mazel tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. Oh, I better better send out a group text to the uh, to the Seagulls that there's a big shlom zachar tonight. Uh, so we go uh, to the Lower East Side at the Passaic, New Jersey, and say Mazal Tov on this amazing simcha from all of us here at JM in the AM. Also, I wanted to take this opportunity on when was it Wednesday night? Yeah, Wednesday night. I had the opportunity, and it was just uh, an unbelievable simcha uh, in Brooklyn, New York, this past Wednesday. Um, the amazing celebration, really a uh, a wonderful celebration. The, the Nussbaum and Perlstein families were together as, um, as Kivi and, um, and Malki uh, got married in Brooklyn, New York. And I take this opportunity to wish, uh, uh Mr. and Mrs. Gitti and Isaac Nussbaum up in Muncie a very special Mazel Tov. Many, many, many people in this audience know how incredible the Nussbaum family is and what kind of Bali Chesed they are. And um, I take this opportunity to wish them Mazel Tov, and of course to uh, the Perlsteins, uh, to Gittel and Yitzchak Perlstein, and the entire family. We say Mazel Tov from all of us here at JMM. Just an incredibly beautiful simcha. And uh, I, I was there, and the Aaron Teitelbaum Orchestra was there with Yisrael Lamb leading, of course, and Aaron Teitelbaum and Mutti J urging everybody on, and a great orchestra. And Barry Weber was the lead singer that night. Barry Weber. Had not seen him on at a wedding in a long time, and he's simply spectacular. He is just great. So again, a mazel tov to the Nussbaum and Pearlstein families from all of us here at JMM. And please, everybody, please, everybody, keep in mind, keep in mind a young lady who is um, who um, who would love for everybody to help her with some tefillos, and that's Minka Sara Bas Dvoragitol. Minka Sara Bas Dvoragitol, and we say Rafur Shlema Minka Sara. 
And the Nussbaum and Perlstein family should continue to have amazing simchas and celebrate together. Comes from all of us here at JM in the AM. Want to remind you that uh, Matis is um, going to be hosting JM Sunday and Dr. Emmanuel Navone, author of the new book, The Victory of Zionism, reclaiming the narrative about Israel's domestic, regional, and international challenges. He'll join Matis on Sunday at 8.15. That'll be live this coming Sunday. Make sure you're tuned in. That's happening again this coming Sunday at 8.15. Want to wish a Mazda to David Rosazada. And of course, to Lori and Joe. I gotta check with Lori and Joe if last night was the final installment of the Rosetta Bar Mitzvah celebration or not. I gotta find out. I don't know if it was just the uh, third or fourth installment or the final one, <laughs> but a very special Mazel Tov to everybody, uh, in West Orange, New Jersey as the big Simcha continues, Baruch Hashem. And, uh, a special Mazel Tov, of course, to Zadie Koppelman. I'm not letting this show go by without wishing him a special Mazel Tov to be at a great-grandson's bar mitzvah last night. I can only imagine how that felt. Uh, and we say Mazel Tov to him and the entire family from all of us here at JM in the AM. Oh, and I think that, um, did I see a note from a listener, Sina? Yeah. Listener, Sina says Mazel Tov to Bayswater Bubala Chaya Schreiber on her graduation from pre-1A. Mazel Tov to Chaya's mom and dad, Sippy and Shia Dove, and siblings Akiva and A.B. Chaya, we're so proud of you. We know you're going to... Really love first grade, and we owe you a pink donut with sprinkles. That sounds good. I'd graduate if I knew that that was waiting for me afterwards. Lots of love from Bubby and Zadie, Florida. We know them as Ira and Cena, and we wish them a Shabbat Shalom from all of us here at JM in the AM. This, speaking of Shabbat Shalom, here is a diaspora at JM in the AM.
Shalom It's nice to be at home Pretty amazing, huh? No, that is one amazing Shabbos selection, I'll tell you that much. That's one thing we've learned over the years. There's some incredible Shabbos selections out there. Uh, JMNAM wrapping up the week. It's Journeys. Time to say good Shabbos at JMNAM.
My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sony and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. That wraps up another amazing week for us here at JM in the AM. Plenty more starting Monday. Make sure to join us. And don't forget, we have incredible programming on our stream all through the weekend, including Matas' special interview coming up on uh, Sunday during JM Sunday at 8.15 this coming Sunday morning. Make sure to be tuned in for that. Naomi Nachman is next on our stream at jmtheam.org with the Table for Two brand new edition. You can watch the whole thing. If you go to the homepage of NahumSiegel.com, have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Until Monday, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.